0: All right, welcome in. It is Week 14, Championship Week of college football. This is the Dream Preview, the R.J. Bell's pregame Dream Preview, uh, College Football Edition. I'm AJ Hoffman. He is Taylor McCard. Taylor, how you doing, man?
1: Man, I'm good. I wish we'd gone out on a. Uh, or, well, I had gone out on a little higher note for uh, the last weekend of the regular season. Uh, anybody that rode with me on Rutgers plus one and a half, I, I, my. My most sincere condolences, but uh, yeah. Other than that, all good. Looking forward to this. Is, we were just talking off air. This is an awesome slate for the uh, championship Saturday, so uh, and Friday night too. So we, we got some good ones to talk about.
0: Well, I, I, listen, you didn't go out on a bad note because we still got notes to hit. That's the that's, that's the true. beauty of of championship week and bowl season. You're not going out on a, on a bad note. Uh, Zappy hour came through for me once again uh Bailey Zappi gets me to the it, boy my favorite thing about this podcast is when you are when you when you make a best bet if it's losing at halftime you will hear about it on twitter.com and i got an earful about it when it was 14 to nothing i want to say in the first quarter it was, oh, you're the biggest dope ever, blah, blah, blah. And listen, I'll tell you, at halftimes, 14-6, I didn't feel great about it and certainly didn't feel as great as I did before the game started. But eventually things went our way and and the Hilltoppers got the job done. And uh, we'll be talking about their game coming up here in a little bit. Uh, I, had, I had a decent week. I, I missed my two-star uh, on Eastern Michigan, but I, I hit Ball State. And I hit my total, which was easy. The Mac totals, my goodness, it's free money. Um, so it was a, a positive end to the regular season for me. But I think we've got some winners coming this weekend as well. Going to be a little bit of a different format today. We're just going to basically we're going to roll through all the big games, and we're going to give our our thoughts on each one of them, give an opinion, a like, a lean, whatever we've got on it, and then we'll we'll both have a best bet at the end of the episode. Um, but yeah, it's, we're not going to do our three, two, one, uh, we're not, but we're, we're going to try to give you some thoughts on at least all the big games, not every championship game, but at least the big ones. All right. Before we do, we're going to get into what's going on in the college football world before we get into our, uh, our, our countdown of games here. So let's start with the the college football playoff rankings come out and it, there's some shakeup. Certainly, obviously we knew this weekend there was going to be some shakeup. I, I think, I expected Michigan to play Ohio State tough. I didn't expect them to dog stomp them, and they did just that. So, right now you've got Georgia one, Michigan two, Alabama three, Cincinnati four, Oklahoma State five, Notre Dame six, and I think we can stop the conversation there. Do you feel that's that's fair? Um, yeah, right there with you. Shy of of
1: just uh, you know, I can't even really
0: think of a scenario
1: now where. Even Ohio State gets in as a, as a non-champion. Um, I would say, yeah, one through six, how you listed them out, I think that's really the six teams that I think have a crack at this. Um, I'm with you on what you said about Michigan-Ohio State. I thought there was a, a chance, you know, if they play their best game that you know, and they get some breaks, that uh, Michigan wins that game. But the way that they came out and dominated the line of scrimmage on both sides – uh, Stroud still got his for the most part. I mean, he almost had 400 yards passing, but the, the shot plays, they really limited and they won up front almost the whole game. So the reaction from me to the rankings, really the, how this laid out, I, I was on ESPN Houston yesterday morning and this was the, the six that I, uh, this is how I thought it would lay out. I think this is how everybody thought it would lay out. There's not really a surprise here. I thought the only potential would be would they would they punish Alabama? You know, behind Cincinnati, but I think the the committee is going to force Alabama to lose a second one before they bounce them any lower than they're at right now. Um, I think you know the only other thing that I heard Barta talk about in his comments after the rankings came out that I thought was interesting was with Brian Kelly's departure to LSU. They talked about and they addressed that. Weighing a team and their their coach having moved on, and he's talking directly about Brian Kelly, that that's going to be a factor in their in their final rankings. Notre Dame, regardless, they need help. They need a couple teams ahead of them to lose, and for them to sort of fall into the four spot. But I did think that comment was interesting. Um, I think there's the potential for there, there there may be some chaos here. But if this goes chalk, I think you end up. Georgia one, Michigan two, and then what do you do with the three and four spot if Cincinnati wins and uh, Oklahoma State wins? Who's three and who's four? Who who gets to face Georgia? So uh, no big surprises for me, and I think it leaves for a really exciting Saturday or Friday and Saturday because there's a lot that that's going to play out. It's it's really for the for the implications of the playoff. It's really just Saturday, but man, there's a lot on the line and the potential for chaos if there's any really any sort of upsets.
0: Yeah, I, I thought the interesting thing today was Oklahoma State jumping Notre Dame. Uh it, it seems like really there was it seems like there was no reason to do that at this time. You know, Notre Dame they they took care of business. They were th- you know three touchdown favorites and they, they they dominated Stanford start to finish. Oklahoma State didn't even cover against Oklahoma and they they jump Notre Dame in the in the rankings, which I thought was a little bit odd. What were your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think it goes back to Bardo was talking more about, you know, looking into the future on what could happen. How would they assess Notre Dame? But I think Brian Kelly leaving. I, I, to me, that's where you're seeing it. That's the reason they're the sixth spot is you are uh, docking them for their head coach leaving. And how is that impacted um, or how is that going to impact the team? moving forward now they don't have a championship game as we know they're in the barn for them um but it, it's going to be really interesting if if there's chaos ahead of them god does the committee really put a, a let's say baylor wins are they going to put a two loss big 12 champion are they going to vault them in probably not are they going to no. put ohio state in no. probably not um the only scenario i could potentially see do they if alabama plays georgia really close and cincinnati wins Do they put Alabama in? Listen, Would they they do that? I mean, that's really the only one I could –
0: I think Alabama getting in with two losses, I think that ship sailed when they they barely beat Auburn. Auburn outplayed them. Auburn was better than them. And Auburn was with a backup quarterback. Like the the situation couldn't have been set up better for Alabama to just stomp a hole in Auburn. And it took – not only did it take a lot of luck, it took really bad coaching decisions. It took a lot of things – for Alabama to to even be here today, so if had Alabama beat Auburn by forty and then play Georgia close, I think I could hear an argument for it. But now now that we've seen that from Alabama, I, I don't know what they could do to to make me go. Yeah, they deserve it. I I just don't I don't see. I mean, they would have to beat Georgia. So I, I I guess the the question like that's there's potential chaos there. Obviously, Georgia Alabama. It's almost now if Alabama wins, that's the start of chaos because that keeps out a lot of people, uh, because Georgia's not going to fall out. So two SEC teams would create a lot of chaos. I, I think the, the least likely chaos that could happen is Michigan losing. Yep, agreed. I mean, I'll never, I'll never say never, but I will say it would shock me if Iowa scores many points in that game, enough to win, certainly. And and then you've got Cincinnati's got, I think, a losable game. Oklahoma State's got a losable game. So there's still a lot of stuff to be decided. But I do think it's down to those six teams. There's four spots for six teams is what it boils down to. And I, I, I'll say this, and this is what I why I believe Notre Dame still has a shot, even like you said, even though the hay's in the barn. In a year where... The playoff will have no Alabama, no Ohio State, no Clemson, no Oklahoma. They're going to want brand names. And I I think having Georgia and Michigan is fine, but having Cincinnati and Ohio State in the playoff – Oklahoma State. Or uh, not Ohio State, excuse me, Oklahoma State. It almost feels like – it's, it's certainly not sexy. It, it, in fact, it's probably the least sexy Final Four that we would have ever had. And really, the, the only teams, I, I looked at this today, the only teams in the playoff era who were not what we consider blue blood programs to make the Final Four, it, it, Michigan State made it in the second year, and Washington made it one year. Other than that, it's like it's the cream of the crop of, of college football programs making it. And Cincinnati and Oklahoma State would both be crashing that party. It just seems like if the committee has an opportunity to put Notre Dame in, they're going to put Notre Dame in.
1: I think they I think they would get in I'm just sitting here looking at it again. The last thing I guess I'd say about this, if Cincinnati were to lose, if they're the only one that gets upset and you have Georgia, Michigan, Oklahoma State, I think – Notre Dame is going to be in in the four spot. I don't think they put Ohio State in over them. I don't think they put in two lost Bama in over them. And I agree with you. A lot of it is in large part due to how – look at the last two weeks. I mean, Alabama really – I was surprised by how they struggled against Arkansas. And they looked – I mean, they it turned into a rock fight at Jordan-Hare. I mean, they. it was a terrible – Terrible performance by them. And you're exactly right. A coaching decision and a running back staying in bounds away from them losing that game, despite Auburn doing everything they could to try and give that game away. And they ultimately did. Um, But I think that's Notre Dame's path in is Cincinnati losing and everything else going chalk.
0: All right. Let's take a look at, and, and you mentioned Brian Kelly. I guess we'll start there with the coaching moves. Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame. First, do you think that that should impact the committee's decision on what to do with Notre Dame? Do you think that's fair?
1: If, it was, if there was some potential where there was an apples-to-apples apples case, one team versus another, I would say yes, but we're not really going to have that. It's either you would have to put somebody that you would say is undeserving in over a team in Notre Dame that I would say probably is deserving if, if Cincinnati were to lose. Um, but if you had a scenario where it was two teams that you felt like, hey, look, you could go either way on this and it's going to be razor thin – then yeah, I do think that that matters. I, I absolutely think that matters. Um, I was surprised by the move primarily because of the timing. I'm not surprised that he's leaving. And and the reason I say that, if you stay long enough at a place like that, it, it, it feels like he's sort of peaked. And you, you've done all you can do at a place like Notre Dame. I mean, you go back to the Tyrone Willingham days and the uh, Charlie Weiss days. I mean, there was, they were Davies. losing to you. Right, that you're losing to UConn and Navy at home. I mean, there were some dark days in South Bend. Well, now you've been to the Final Four a couple times. Sure, you've gotten your your brains beat in, but you got there. I mean, you had an undefeated regular season. Like, you're talked about in the top five to ten teams year in and year out. But to get over that hump, there is a difference in recruiting. And the fact of the matter is you can't get some of those kids in in Notre Dame. That's just the truth. So this, to me, it's his last hurrah. This is, I'm going to go where I know I can get any kid I want. I'll, I'll have horses in the world, and we're going to make a push for this thing. And this is his last shot at, this is your gig. If he's winning there, he's got, you know, a, not a tremendously long leash, uh, as you see with, with Ed O. But he's going to have a, a couple, two or three, four years to get this thing, to get them back to prominence and try and go get one and I I think that's
0: what this is for me it is funny that you know how the the it's changed what the thought of a disappointing season is in Notre Dame like now now Notre Dame if they miss the playoffs people oh man that's a it's a down season we'll find we'll find a new coach who can get us back like you forget quickly how many five and seven seasons there were over the years and Kelly has really turned Notre Dame back into a power, which, you know, I didn't know that it could happen. It's like, imagine, you know, Scott Frost winning 10 games for four years in a row at Nebraska, what we'd think of what he's done. Like, that's basically what Brian Kelly did. So I I think there should be some credit given.
1: Um, I'll go to, I'll go to Lincoln Riley for the next one. Uh, Another one that didn't, it surprised me where he went. I thought he'd go to LSU. Uh, it surprised me where that's he what went it seems like what everybody thought but do, does not surprise me that he left and again reason why OU and Texas i think are in for a rude awakening when they get to the SEC and i'm not the only one that's thought this this isn't some original thought that i'm the only person on the planet that thinks this but if you OU has been the top of the mountain in the Big 12 since it was created for the most part uh, far and away the most Big 12 championships far and away since the play well in the BCS era and the playoff, certainly since the playoff has been around, they have been the top of the mountain in the big twelve. Well now if you think about if if OU just absolutely crushes it in recruiting, who do you have ahead of them that you realistically you're like, even if we crush it, you still probably have three, four, maybe five teams out of the SEC that very realistically yeah. could be ahead of you in recruiting. I think it makes all the sense in the world for Lincoln and some of what I've heard and some of what you, and this is all water cooler talk there there. I've got no way to substantiate this. This is, I'm not, I don't know Lincoln Riley personally, but it does not sound like, nor does it shock me that Lincoln Riley was not consulted about the move to the sec. Cause you got to, I I get it. I understand you, you wouldn't go to your head coach to ask for their opinion on that. That's more of a university decision, but I don't, I don't blame him for saying, I don't really care to deal with Alabama, LSU, and AM every year. Oh, and, and Auburn, whenever they get – every few years they get pretty decent. Where if you go to USC, you're it. I mean, if you get that thing rolling, you the, the path goes through Oregon and maybe a Utah or, or UCLA if they, if they have a, a season that really pops up. But year in, year out, it's really either you or Oregon. And if you have it rolling half as decent as Pete Carroll did – in the 2000s, you're it. You're the show. So I completely get the why behind it. I'm surprised it wasn't LSU. Um, But I think it's also a wake-up call for Oklahoma that, hey, you got what you asked for with with moving to the SEC, but you went from being sort of the the top of the mountain to you're kind of the upper middle of the SEC West. I mean, you're not even in the top two in that side anymore, which is – not something I think Sooner fans were prepared for and how the, the coaching world views your job now. I think that's part of, of the extreme frustration and, and, you know, a lot of really pissed off Sooner fans.
0: Yeah. It, well, OK, so here's the question for both of those programs and for Notre Dame and Oklahoma. Who's next? Like, what, what do you think the next move is for, for either one of those schools?
1: I think Luke Fickle at Notre Dame makes a ton of sense. I think it mean, makes all the sense. I, I, to me, that's the guy. Now, they got to be, it'll be pretty obvious over the next week or so. If it's real quiet, if you don't hear much, then it's probably Luke Fickle because he's going to tell his agent if they win, if they beat Houston, hey, they're going to have to wait. I'm not, we're not doing anything until we get through the playoff. I, I don't think you will see an announcement, even if they make it into the playoff, that he would. Say, hey, I'm taking the job, but we're going to coach this out. I, I don't think Luke Fickle would do that. At OU, it's a little more interesting. I think, you know, Mark Stoops was a name that got thrown around. He's it just came out, I think, today or yesterday and said he's going to stay at Kentucky. Um, I Although that don't,
0: doesn't necessarily mean he is.
1: Well, you're right. But for, for now, it, it, it at least sounds like he's not going anywhere. <laughs> Urban Meyer. Who knows if we can trust But he says. He says he's staying in Jacksonville for now. There's not as clear a path for OU, but what would be hilarious is if Sonny Dykes goes from SMU to TCU and then just immediately flips over to OU. I'm not sure that it'll happen. I think that may, he may be one job away from OU, but you look around, again, there's not that Kind of aha, yes, absolutely. This makes sense. Hire at least to me. Is there somebody that you think that you would have in mind? I mean, RJ mentioned today
0: on our radio show, Bob Stoops. Just have him stay after the bowl game. Yeah, I mean, and he he can get you through, like get you through the first couple years of the SEC, uh, which is going to be a really key time for that program. I think he would do it too because he. OU
1: means a tremendous amount to him, and he didn't go somewhere else, right? He, I don't even really fully know why he left when he did, um, but he did. And it would make all the sense in the world that you would offer it to him, and I think he would take it if you offered it to him, uh, at least for a a short-term period. If you you phrased it exactly like you just said, that – and honestly – that's one of the only situations I can think of where you could have a head coach that says all cards on the table. I may move into more of a front office administrative role after a couple of years, but I'm here to get them through this, this transition period in the sec, which I I honestly think from a recruiting perspective, wouldn't hurt you if you knew that if you were a kid coming into that situation and you knew, Hey, the guy that's recruiting me may leave, but he's also still going to be around the program. Bob Stoops isn't going anywhere long-term. He's always going to have a presence Similar to Barry Alvarez at Wisconsin, and I actually think that there's a lot of uh, there's value that comes with that. So Snyder I, I don't, at Kansas State, exactly. I, funny, I was actually recruited during the period where I don't even remember the coach's name anymore. Between Snyder and how drastic it fell off there, and then immediately he comes back in in the resurgence you see. So I think there's at the highest level you see that's like Barry Alvarez, is the best example to me of the value he created by just staying around and kind of being a a presence in that program. And I could see Bob Stoops being the same thing.
0: So wait, you, you got, are you saying you were recruited by Kansas state in the era? Like where uh... in the
1: between period
0: I got recruited in the, the, I can't even
1: remember his name anymore. The head coach between the two stints for Snyder when he Backed away from the program. They turned it over in a different what, direction. Was it, it came- Ron Prince? It was Ron Prince. Okay, that's who I thought. Yeah, And R- Ruggiero was the, the quarterback coach who I, I believe is at Wake Forest now. And they had just completely fallen off a cliff. Um, a, a big reason why I'd, I didn't really want to go play for them. And then Schneider comes back after two or three years the Prince is the head coach. And I, I want to say pretty immediately they were back to being relevant again.
0: Yeah, that it, that's uh it's it is I do think there is something to having those sort of figureheads around and I think Bob suits he he fits that mold to be honest. Uh the the last one that we'll talk about is Napier to Florida and now does it feel like when you see the guys who LSU gets who who uh USC gets does it feel like maybe Florida's slow or, or they just didn't have their pick of the litter? I like the hire.
1: Now, it's not Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley are two of the biggest names, and they're they're proven winners. Even though Lincoln Riley is like what is he thirty eight or thirty nine? I mean, th- they are proven winners. They're they are the sexy name brand guys. But all Billy Napier's done pretty much everywhere he's been is win. Also, I think it makes a ton of sense. I think it's a culture fit in Florida. I think he'll be able. I think he'll be able to recruit. That this is the only piece, and it's the reason Mullins got ran off. At a place like Florida, when you get to that level and you're at the, the blue chip programs of the, of the country, recruiting is nonstop. The best ones, it never ends. They work it into every conversation. At Urban Meyer, it's the reason he was unbelievable because it just never stopped with him. He was, and even you know, back in the day with Pete Carroll. Now they were there were some extracurriculars making sure that they got some of those kids, but those top echelon coaches never stop recruiting can Billy Napier be that at Florida? Because if he can, they're going to win. They're going to get plenty of guys there, and especially on that side of the SEC, they'll be back to being relevant in, in a couple years. But it's to me, it's going to hinge on, is he that elite recruiter that you need him to be at a place like Florida?
0: Yeah, that's the big question. But you, like, you, So you like the hire overall, though?
1: I do. I thought it made a lot of sense, and we'll see down the line – Brian Kelly feels like a win I get and I was I was chiming in on this as well because I thought it was hilarious the jokes about the culture fit from Brian Kelly coming to South Louisiana it's a funny fit because because it's not a fit like personality wise but Brian Kelly's gonna win there are you kidding me he's everywhere he's gone he's won and he's gonna have an embarrassment of riches around him he'll have everything he could possibly want they're gonna get kids they'll have players and I think they'll win but what's gonna be interesting is did how long did LSU know this? And did they did they hone in on Brian Kelly? And did they have that interest from him, from his agent, you know, a few weeks back where they kind of focused on him and let Billy Napier pass? Because when Billy Napier was hired first, it felt like, man, is who's going to look foolish in the long run here, LSU or Florida? LSU's got somebody right under their nose, 45 minutes, an hour from where they are that they let leave. But if they'd known for – you know, a month that Brian Kelly was interested, then all of a sudden it becomes, well, you know, then it makes sense. Um, But that's the thing with, you know, Lincoln Riley on Scott Van Pelt last night. He's not going to come out and tell you what he's thinking. He's not going to tell you, yeah, my agent's been crushing the phones for two weeks and I knew I was out of there. No, he's going to say, well, it happened late, you know, Saturday night into Sunday morning. No, it didn't. Of course it didn't, but he's not going to come out and say that. So it's all a big show and uh, show and dance, but I don't know. I, I, to me, on paper, I thought Billy Napier made a lot of sense at Florida. But I'll say it again. We will know after uh, maybe two signing classes whether or not I think this is going to work out because that's what to me it's really going to hinge on. All right, let's let's
0: get into this weekend's games and let's start with the Pac-12 Championship. Oregon at against Utah, a game that we talked about just a couple of weeks ago, feels familiar and painful. Uh, but now Utah minus three hosting Oregon here in Vegas.
1: Yeah. I think the key there is it's, uh, it's not like these group of five games, they play at a neutral site. And I think if you were expecting another 38 to seven blowout, you're not going to get that Oregon playing at a neutral site, a lot different than having to go to Utah. If there's a side, I don't really have a side here that I feel super confident in uh, beating the same team twice is hard. And, if there's anything I like in this game, it's the under at 59 and a half. Uh, that's the lean. That when I the, the more I dig into this, I think going back to uh, really through Utah's a lot of their schedule and how they played against Oregon the first go around, I think they're still going to present similar problems. Uh, I think you're going to see they're going to make Anthony Brown try and beat them, similar to what they did a couple weeks ago, and he, he obviously was not able to do it. Uh, so I don't think you're going to get a ton of points in this game, but I would expect this to be much closer than the first iteration. You're not going to get a 38-7 blowout again.
0: Yeah, I, I can't imagine that's the case. But I do think you have to take a look at what that game was like. And, it, I mean, the venue changes, sure. But Utah dominated that game with their front seven. They, were, they physically manhandled Oregon in that game. And that was – conceivably an Oregon team that had more motivation than they do now. Right. Yep. Uh, Get the stakes they were playing for at that time. On the other hand, uh, Utah ran the ball at will. Thibodeau had no sacks, no tackles for loss. They were 11 for 14 on third downs. And the special teams edge was massive. It was so glaring. A missed field goal, blocked field goal. Punt return at the end of the half for a touchdown, like a 60-yard kick return. I mean, every time it felt like maybe Oregon had a chance to be in the game, special teams took them right out of it. And that that punt return that ended the first half basically ended the game. Like that was – it felt like all the air was out of Oregon's balloon at that point. And I've got – I just don't have an appetite for Oregon – after backing them the first time, I, I, I think if you're looking for a reason to, Oregon's 4-0 in these Pac-12 championship appearances. They're averaging 42 points per game in them. Uh, obviously, they're the more – I think they're still the more talented football team. But I, I don't know how much can change from a physicality standpoint – you know, in the last two to three weeks, Uh, am I missing something?
1: No, I'm with you on all of that from a, from a, especially the front seven, like you talked about the only piece that I think favors Oregon, it is hard to replicate and, and it's hard to measure those special teams mistakes like you talked about. I'm not expecting Oregon to have the same thing happen to them. And you, you can't those mistakes, unless there's, there's something across the span of a whole season where you could point back and say, man, for whatever reason, on special teams this is just a really bad team. I would not expect that you get a punt return return for touchdown again. I would not expect you see some of the special teams errors that you got in the first first pass at this and it that's why a big reason why I think it's a much closer game than it was last time. I still think Utah wins. I think they're the better team. I thought that the first go around, but I don't think if you're expecting this to be another if you're looking at that that minus three for Utah and thinking man give I'll take all of that I think they win this by two scores or more again that's where I would caution you and say I I think this is a much closer game than the first time
0: so I'll lean to Utah I'm with you though I I think it's a low scoring game Uh, I don't think that Oregon goes in and puts up 42 points I think that both teams ideally want to run the ball Um, so I, I, I tend to to lean the same way that the under is the way to go here uh, let's take a look at the Big 12 Championship game: Baylor and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, five and a half point favorites in this one. I
1: like Oklahoma State on this side. I think if you if you look how Baylor has come into this game, uh, the last two weeks, you know OU is a, a, is a good win for them. Beat OU, who isn't what we've seen in the past, but still a talented team. But the last two weeks not incredibly convincing at Kansas State. I know it's a tough place to play, but nothing really there that jumped out as any sort of special performance and really had a chance to lose at home to Texas Tech. Um, on the flip side, Oklahoma State really came into bedlam rolling. I mean, they were they were smashing everybody in conference and I think watched almost every play of that game live after I, I got done with my game that I'd called and it looked like nerves and jitters for most of the first half for Oklahoma state. Like they knew what was on the line. They're not dumb. They they're aware of what's ahead of them. If they can somehow win this game. And even though they're the better team, I think you said it, they didn't cover and they could not get out of their way, their own way. Most of the game. Well, they cleared that hurdle. They got that monkey off their back. They won for the first time since I think it was 2015. I may get that wrong. The last time they, they won in bedlam. I think now, I think now, You've got that. You've got the pressure off of you, so to speak, and you're playing a team that you're, you're just better than any way that you slice it. They are better than Baylor. I think they're closer to. I think this line should be closer to to seven, the five and a half. I just don't think is enough. So if there is a side that I take in this, I think it's Oklahoma State. I also think they present the same problems they did earlier for uh,
0: Bohannon. Who is he going to play? Uh, do we even it, that? Uh, to me, that's the biggest question. If Bohannon doesn't play like Oklahoma state's the only side I can really look at. Um, I, I, I do like Blake, uh, what's his name? Shapen. We, against Texas tech, he looked good, but that's Texas tech. Right. And he looked good enough to, to squeak out a home win on a missed field goal against Texas tech's defense. The Soki OK state defense is a different monster. And obviously they just played their worst defensive game of the season against Oklahoma. but, When 33 is the most you've given up all season and you've still still given up under 11 points a game in your last five, including that game that you just gave up 33 in, you're doing okay. Uh, But also the Baylor defense is still undervalued. They're undervalued too. They don't have the dominant numbers Oak State does, but they've been solid all season long. I like the under in this game, 46 and a half, a low low scoring game. Because I don't know about Bohannon – I, I think Bohannon being out would help the under, uh, but it, when, it, when a when a total is forty six and a half, I am not looking to to lay really anything more than a field goal. So, I, I would if I had to pick a side, it's probably Baylor, but I wouldn't play Baylor without Bohannon because I, I just think there is not going to be enough points scored in that game. All right, let's take a look at the SEC championship. I've I've been saying, like I said this, I don't know how many weeks ago, like, and that someone scoffed at me when they, they said, what do you have Alabama, Georgia on a neutral? And I said, six. And now it's six and a half. Uh, so clearly now, I I mean, listen, there's a huge downgrade of Alabama after what we saw from, from that Auburn game. I, I don't think anyone can not downgrade them off of that. that. That was a game that Auburn should have won multiple times. And uh it it's just a it's it's imagine like you're playing alabama you've got really nothing to win if you're auburn i mean you've been losing to south carolina w- why don't you go for two what what makes you think it's a good idea to get into like double overtime with Ale- like or triple like to go go to a shootout basically what what i
1: everything down the stretch, the Tank Bigsby, I understand effort play. You're trying to pick up the first down and that ends it. But if you get a, a two steps away and you recognize I'm not getting there, you've got to get down. That 40 seconds that stayed on the clock, Gary Anderson said it 15 times through the rest of the broadcast, but he's right. You have to get down in that scenario. And then once it does get sent to overtime and you have an opportunity to win it, you control whether or not you win it and you know you're not going to give the ball back to them, to Bama, I agree with you. The the game had started to get away from them. Alabama, was the momentum was on their side. And guess what? They're the much better football team. You do not want to go play more football against the better team. So go for two. I think everybody was was screaming and shouting for that. Um, But I I think some of the damage was done, though, for Alabama. This game against Georgia – I think that reaction. You're exactly right. Some of what I've I've read and some of the reaction. I, I think people were surprised that it was just this six and a half. Like they were expecting Georgia to be closer to a, a, a you know nine point favorite. But this, if there was ever a look ahead game, it was last weekend for Alabama. I think they slept. Like they they clearly slept. Walked through almost all of that game, figured out a way to win. Now you're playing with house money now you're like we shouldn't have even been here if we can win this somehow we're in the playoff in a season where they're really not very good i mean by their standards it's not a very good alabama team um i think they're going to present challenges to georgia on their on the offensive side that georgia's defense really hasn't seen before this year if you go back and think through you know what's the best offense that that Georgia's seen this year is it tennessee um I think Alabama will present some things that are that are issues for Georgia. I still, think Georgia's going to get theirs. I'm not. I'm not saying Alabama's going to go out and hang thirty on Georgia. Um, the the flip side to this, that would the only thing that would really concern me for Georgia is does Alabama strike lightning in a bottle and somehow come out hot and Georgia's down? How does Georgia react in a season where they've just been dominant? And is there any world where Alabama's got to lead and you got to say? Hey, Stetson Bennett, <laughs> you got to bring us back. Uh, I don't normally I would say they're not equipped for that, but they run the ball so effectively that may just be what they do. They may line up right at and run right at Alabama for four quarters.
0: Yeah, this. Uh, listen, Alabama scoring zero points in the first fifty something minutes against Auburn, and then until the last minute of regulation, they'd only scored three. That was against a five hundred Auburn team. Think about this. Auburn in their last three games, the last three games before that Alabama game, had given up 84 points against Texas A&M, Mississippi State, and South Carolina. Now they have to go against this Georgia defense that's given up 83 points all season. All season long, 83 points. And Bryce Young got sacked seven times in that Auburn game. It's a, it's a
1: really bad offensive line, for, for, again, for, for Alabama and, standards, right. but they
0: still have the weapons. They've
1: got their weapons on the perimeter. They've got plenty of talent, obviously, at quarterback. But the offensive line play, if there's any, anything that I would walk back on in my statement about Alabama presenting challenges, I meant that more from a skill player perspective, but yes. it may not matter because up front – George is going to dominate them. I think you're. I think you're right. Um,
0: Alabama in that in that game against Auburn, seventeen plays of zero or negative yards, and that's again that's against a six and six Auburn mm-hmm. team. I, I, it just Georgia and people people don't realize how good Georgia's offense is. They've scored over forty points in four straight weeks, and they've scored thirty or more in every game since week one. I, I just think this is they, they're going to physically manhandle this tied team. That just haven't recovered the talent in the trenches that they've lost. They sure they've got outside talent, like they've got skill position talent. I think Kirby Smart having a chance to beat him is big. I mean, obviously there's there's history in this game, like the history between Georgia and Alabama is pretty p- well publicized. They haven't beaten Bama since Saban's first year there, and that's when Kirby Smart was the the DC at uh, at, at Bama. And even in this SEC title game, Georgia's gotten their hearts ripped out a couple times, had a big halftime lead, I think twice and and ended up blowing it. So this feels like the best team Georgia's had going against an Alabama team that feels weakened to me. I I think this is a statement game for, for Georgia.
1: I think Georgia wins the game. Uh, It would not shock me if they cover, I don't really have a a lean really anywhere in this game. I, I it's, uh, there's too much history between the two head coaches. And if there was ever a game that Alabama throws, I mean, the entire kitchen sink to try and win this game, things that they haven't shown all season on both sides, you're going to get it in this game to try and get in the playoff. Um, I, I, this would be a stay away game for me, really, all the way around. But I, I can't wait to watch it.
0: Uh, let's go to the ACC championship Wake Forest against Pitt, Pitt giving three points.
1: You know, if you would ask me this 3 weeks ago, I think I would have felt much more confident in Wake Forest. I think we've started to see learned a lot about them against Clemson. Now now Clemson's defense and Pitt's defense are are very much not the same thing. But Wake's inability to really do anything on offense when they got punched in the mouth up front was concerning and again, it, Pitt is not going to have nearly the same ability to get after the quarterback that Wake or that Clemson did, but it can do enough of it that I think Pitt's going to score almost at will against this Wake Forest defense. Uh, I think it's a this will be maybe the most high scoring of, of all the Power Five conference championships, almost certainly is, and I think Pitt wins this game. If there was a side that I like, it's Pitt minus three.
0: Yeah, I mean I think this is a, an up and down it's a track meet game. I, this is I don't know you know I I don't know that Wake Forest is going to get a stop. Um they've not been getting stop. They've given up 42 points or more in four of their last six. And Pitt is a little better offense than Clemson is. Like <laughs> you know, if Clemson's racking up points on you, there's a real problem going on here. And and Wake has a really good safety in Travion Red. But cornerbacks an issue all season long, and this is the this is the best quarterback that they'll have faced this season. And Hartman has been he's been much better than expected. But Kenny Pickett, this dude's made himself some NFL money this year. Like this guy has been outstanding. Uh, I think, I, like I said, I think this is this goes up and down. I don't think there's going to be a lot of defense. It feels like the bubble has kind of burst for Wake, and. Pitt's just playing really good ball right now. I I, I think I, I like the over here, and I think I like Pitt to get one or two more stops in this game. Although I, like I said, I don't think there's going to be very many. Like you remember the Army Wake Forest game where Army scored literally every every time they had the ball, and it, like Army yep. Army scored fifty something points in like thirteen minutes of time of possession. I feel like it could be something like that. Like it it could just be you know a a, a total track meet where. Pitt has the ball for maybe, you know, 15, 20 minutes of the game, and, and they put up 70 points. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's take a look at the Big Ten championship game. Iowa against Michigan. Michigan minus 11 in this one.
1: God, this is another one that you talk about. a, a, a low-scoring spread in the Big 12 championship and, and not wanting to take Baylor in that game. I sit here and look at it's a 43.5 for the total. And Michigan's favored by 10 and a half. I mean, there are sometimes you – there are some offenses that are so bad that regardless of – no matter the stage, no matter the the prep time that they have, it just won't matter. And uh, that's Iowa to me on offense. Against this Michigan front, Iowa might not score. And I I really do mean that. If they do, it's going to come off of a – a special teams error from Michigan or an interception that's thrown and gets returned back. Because that's what Iowa, a lot of in the first half of the season, especially they lived on the turnovers. Think back to that the the Maryland game when they had like five interceptions in that game. Michigan, to me, should dominate this up front on both sides. I think they win convincingly. And, again, it really comes down to just the one unit that I think is completely inept in this game. And it's Iowas offense they they average this is unbelievable a, a power five team making it to the conference championship they average less than 300 total yards a game. <laughs> That's unbelievable to to get to this point it's it should not it really shouldn't happen and if Michigan had or if Wisconsin had handled their business it wouldn't have happened um but man again to me for for Iowa in this game, I don't see a path to them scoring and if they do I think maybe they maybe it's 10 points total for the whole game but gosh it's a stay away game for me because 10 and a half is a lot and maybe Michigan plays with their food and it just is a total rock fight in this
0: game but there's no way you could get me to take anything that has to do with Iowa in this game. I see I can't see like I've heard a couple people today say Michigan may be in a letdown spot after finally beating Ohio State like if you win this game you're in the playoff there's really no chance for a letdown spot here to me. Um, but yeah, the the Iowa offense, they're 117th in EPA per pass, 115th in passing success rate, 122nd in EPA per carry. And worst of all, in, 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 you know, as it pertains to to this game, their O-line pass blocking grade is 98th in the country going up against Aiden Hutchinson and and David Ajabo, who, I mean, these are two just monsters on the edge. It, you've already got an Iowa offense that can't move the ball. I don't know how you do it against a Michigan team that's gotten better. Uh, and and the, you know what? They've gotten better offensively as the season's gone on as well. The, the Big Ten West, they don't have a team with a running game that, com- that compares to what Michigan's going to bring. And even the passing game ranks 11th in EPA per attempt. We always talk about McNamara not doing it, and, and he doesn't do much. But – they're hitting shots when they're there, and really, they hit a, they hit several against Ohio State, Iowa. You mentioned they've they've thrived on turnovers all season long. The Michigan passing game, they just don't put the ball at risk. McNamara on the season has made five turnover worthy throws all season. He's yet to have more than one in any game. So, like I said, he he doesn't throw the ball a lot. But on that note. He's very careful with it when he does. He's not giving the ball away. And I mean, unless you're counting on a pick six, I don't know that it matters. I think they get the ball and they just die there. My my favorite way to get at this game is probably going to be Iowa's team total under. I was just about to say that. it's at 16 and a half, which is a low number, but listen, I don't I I've said this before about Iowa a team an Iowa game and and they weren't even playing Michigan. I don't know how they score. They are awful, awful on offense, and they're gonna they're about to see probably the best defense they've seen all season. So uh that's the way I would look at this game is Iowa's team total under 16 and a half. All right. Let's get into your best bet. Uh we both our best bets are coming from group of five conferences. So let's uh let's get into yours first.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I I think mine is coming out of the american conference and cincinnati the last 2 weeks played a lot better played like what everybody was hoping you would see if you're rooting for a group of five team to get in and you like the Cinderella story you needed them to start playing well and they did that recently i think you're going to get a little more close to the vest in this game and i think there's there's so much pressure riding on them and houston is going to be playing you talk about going balls to the wall i mean they're they're going to throw everything they have to try and win this game is way too much for me in this game. I like Houston plus 10.5. They really, if you go back through their conference slate, they played the conference slate that you would have hoped Cincinnati would have. And and if you take away a fourth quarter collapse against Texas Tech, this is an undefeated Houston team uh, with a couple convincing wins against pretty decent teams out of the American. So I think if there's a team that's going to be able to go to Cincinnati and keep it close, I think it's Houston. I think Clayton Toon. They, they do just enough on offense that it, you're, it's going to be difficult to run away from them. And Cincinnati's proven, especially in conference, they don't do a lot of that with the exception of the win over SMU. But I don't see that happening against Houston. So I
0: like U of H plus 10 and a half. I'll tell you what. This was when I was coming up with what my best bet was going to be this week. This was second on my list, so I, I'm with you. I've been I've said for weeks now. I think I think Houston could could beat Cincinnati. Uh, I, I I don't know, but I, I think that they've got a good shot to. Uh, their defense has been inconsistent, but they've been better the last few weeks. Obviously, competition has something to do with that. Memphis and UConn and Temple, but this Cincinnati team, you know. They've not seen a quarterback like this. This is Clayton Toon. The numbers on this guy are so much better than I realize. He, he's third in PFF for quarterbacks behind Bryce Young and Kenny Pickett. That blew my mind. Like, he, he's been phenomenal. Uh, and speaking of PFF, there's like some wild numbers here. PFF has the Cougs graded as the seventh best defensive unit in the country, that's two spots behind Cincinnati the Houston offense grades 11 spots higher than Cincinnati. So Houston's overall PFF grade is higher than Cincinnati's, which again, surprising to me. It, it looked like Cincinnati was out of steam a couple weeks ago and, and they've turned it on the last couple weeks against better competition too. you know, they beat SMU and East Carolina by a, a, an average of 28 points, which, you know, it looked like those were going to be the teams that were going to give them trouble it, I, I still think Houston is probably just outside a field goal, worse than this Cincinnati team. Uh, uh, if we were saying things like on a neutral, so I, I would have made I, I would have made this six on a neutral. So getting over ten in Cincinnati, I, I feel like it's there's just too much value on this. So
1: yeah, it, yeah the, the only other thing I'd add on this for if you followed Cincinnati closely, and I'm really the, the game that I'm focused on here. When they blew out SMU, the games at Desmond Ritter in the last two seasons, and especially this season, when he's had his best performances, they run the ball effectively, and it sets up the shot plays off of play action. They ran the ball almost at will against SMU. But what does Houston do a really good job of? It's really hard to run against them. They give up less than 100 yards on the ground a game. And playing out of the American, that's pretty impressive. You talked about where they stand as a total defense, but if – I would expect you see a lot of guys close to the line of scrimmage. I would expect you're going to get some single high, and it may be man-free or even zero in certain downs. But I think they're going to challenge Cincinnati on on the outsides and say, hey, we know that you want to establish the run first. Expect Houston to try and take that away. And if this turns into Desmond Ritter, you're going to have to beat us with your arm. Man, Houston may outright win this game.
0: All right, my best bet is going to be Western Kentucky minus a point and a half now. I, I I bet this yesterday at minus 1. I I'm not going to be turned off by a half point uh going, you know, going my way. I I'll, I'll I'll stick with the pick. I I I would play it heavy up to 3 uh on Western Kentucky. They're playing their best ball of the season, and like I said, six-point first half against Marshall. They put up 47 in the second half and just ran away from that team, a, a good Marshall team. And if you if you remember the first matchup between Western Kentucky and UTSA, it was a crazy shootout. That was the last time Western Kentucky lost. Since then, they've, they've yet to give up more than 21 points in a game. It, it, their offense has gotten better every week, and UTSA's looked vulnerable the last couple of weeks. Southern Miss – a bad Southern Miss team, uh, UAB, and then North Texas just absolutely buried them. Their secondary is bad, 109th in yards allowed per pass, 98th in coverage grade, and you just can't afford that against this Western Kentucky team. The first game that they played, Zappy was hurried twice in 60 dropbacks. the The offensive line dominated, and UTSA they're they're. They're not getting pressure on the quarterback. They're not going to get pressure on Zappy, And, of course, he throws for 527 and six touchdowns. And, again, like I said, I've, I've said this about Western Kentucky all year. This, this whole group came together, you know, before the season started. These are all transfers. This offense was going to take a while to click. I, I think it's gotten so much better from the first time that they played. And, like I said, the first time they played, they blew up. So, with a more efficient offense – the defense playing way better than they did early in the season and UTSA just looking more vulnerable. I think Zappy and company, they finished this uh, um, really an amazing run with a conference championship. So my best bet is Western Kentucky minus one and a half at UTSA. Anybody that's listened to this throughout the whole season will not be shocked
1: whatsoever that you're <laughs> no, listening. They made us they a lot of money. Did, they sure did. I was with you. I was right there with you. Um, yeah, they went to Marshall. Look, I played in Conference USA. I, people, if you don't follow the conference, I understand that the idea of going to Marshall may not sound super intimidating to you. It's a tough place to go play. It's a really hard place to go play. And they scored 47 second-half points in that game. They are not afraid to travel. The offense that they run travels. Bailey Zappi is going to be yeah, – And it's in a dome now. Right.
0: You're putting that offense in a
1: dome? Bailey Zappi is going to be uh, likely. He needs eight touchdowns over the next two games to break Joe Burrow's single season passing record. That's how prolific. Now I get it. It's it's different playing it out of Conference USA versus uh, doing what Joe Burrow did at the highest level. But still, at the at the Division One level, at the way that they're playing, Bailey Zappi is doing some stuff that, especially for people that don't know his story, this guy played at HBU, Houston Baptist, one double or FCS program. Transfers out with three or four of their best players from HBU to Western Kentucky. And
0: and their offensive coordinator. And their
1: offensive coordinator transfer in and plug into that system. And all they do is become the most prolific offense in the FBS this season. So it's an awesome story. Uh, But aside from the story itself, in terms of making money on this, I'm with you. And the thing that concerned me most is. Forget everything we just said about Western Kentucky. Look at how UTSA lost last week against North Texas. They got beat up front badly all game against North Texas, who needed that win. They couldn't stop the run. Who needed that win to go to a bowl game. I think – Western Kentucky is not going to flinch in this game. It's going to be similar to the first time UTSA went on the road when you, when, when Western Kentucky was trying to get their legs underneath them, they they did not have any sort of momentum yet. they lost close to Indiana, lost close to army. And now you're in the back half of the year where they know who they are. They know their identity. Again, that offense travels and they're not going to blink. And if UTSA plays, half as as bad as they did last week against North Texas. Not only are they going to lose, they're going to lose by a a couple scores in this game. So I like your pick. I think UTSA, or I think Western Kentucky wins this, wins Conference USA. It's going to be really unfortunate for UTSA fans to come down the stretch the way they have and and lose back-to-back, but I do think they lose this game.
0: Yeah, I feel bad for UTSA too, because UTSA is another team that's made us a lot of money this year. Uh, It's a, a, a fun team, a good team. But I just think that now they are they're running into basically a buzzsaw. I mean it's just it's too much. So I, I just feel like it's uh, they are they're catching them at the right time. Like they they are they're catching UTSA while they're down a little bit and while they're playing their best football. So uh, yeah, that, that's my best bet. Western Kentucky. All right. We will uh, we're we're gonna be, I, I guess I don't know. Are we off next week? And then we'll be back for bowl season. Is that like when do the bowl games start up?
1: That's right. We'll be uh, back after the Army Navy game. So so nothing from us next week. And then uh, once we get the, I imagine uh, we'll there will be a couple iterations of sort of the early bowl slate, late bowl slate, and then the playoff schedule.
0: Yeah, I think I think we'll probably have. Uh, my, my guess is we'll probably have three and a half podcasts uh, maybe four and a half podcasts during bowl season. Um, we'll, we'll probably hop on to do a, a, a quick, uh, breakdown of the championship game. Um, and obviously wouldn't win, win the, the final four games, but then we'll probably over bowl season, we'll spread out a few other ones and, and dig into these games, which, you know, with a, sh- a shorter card, we should be able to have a little something on all these games. So, yeah, and, and uh, for
1: you, uh, for you real sickos out there, once we get into the final four, we'll get some, uh, some prop bets in there as well. The fun stuff that, uh, we may get a depending on who Georgia gets in the first round. We may have a
0: blowout, so we may need to get some props in there to get people hanging around all four quarters. It's funny, you know, I gave out Georgia minus one ten a couple of weeks ago, said to win the championship, and I think now they're at minus two hundred. But when you think about it, really, the fact that they're six and a half point favorites over Alabama, the only other team in my power rankings that I have within a, within seven points of of Georgia is Ohio State. They're not going to be in the playoff. So the, the second and third best teams in my power ratings might not even make the playoff. We could see Georgia as double-digit favorites in two games, like which makes minus 110 look like, like really good value at this point. I'm with you. I, I'm, I, there is a good chance. I remember
1: thinking this towards the end of LSU's run two years ago, thinking I said it on air with Indy Kalou in Houston. This may be – the best or one of the top two or three best co- college football teams we've ever seen. And we need to realize that because of what they're doing and who they're playing. And then you look at the run, go back and look at the teams they had to beat in the playoff. I mean, it, it was a dominating performance. There's a chance that we look back at the end of this year and say, that may be the best college defense. or that's one of the top two or three best college defenses we've ever seen because what they're doing week in and week out, if they, if, if you get three more games of them holding people to under you know, 13, 17 points every single game through the the SEC championship and the, and the college football playoff, It'll, they will earn every accolade and every statement made about them. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens this
0: weekend. But again, it's going to be a fun weekend of football. It's also funny to think about, I mean, this that really says something about defense because if the final four holds the way, like if chalk happens this weekend and the final four is, Georgia, Michigan, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State. I mean, defense r- rules the day. They, I mean, that that's I mean, all four of those teams their identity is on the defensive side. So that that's a that's a kind of a statement about really where college football's at right now.
1: Yeah, if you want to win a national championship, you better play good defense. If you want to win conference
0: USA, you better be able to throw it around. <laughs> Or you better be able to do something to stop Bailey's happy. You got (laughs) to figure out some kind of a way. All right, Taylor, great job as always. Looking forward to uh, catching you during bowl season. Best of luck to you this weekend, and we will talk to you guys down the road. All right, appreciate it, guys.